Our story today brings us to the final chapter of the story of God's people being rebirthed, if you like, from oppression and slavery in Egypt through 40 years of trials and tests in the desert. And now they come to a literal crossing of the threshold into a new life, a new land with a new leader. This epic story was one the people needed to remember. This final push into the new land happened on the 10th day of the first month at a place called Gilgal, just east of Jericho in modern-day Israel. In Joshua chapter 3, we see the final stage of the rebirth happened just like the first stage, through water. The people needed to physically cross the Jordan River to get to the Promised Land. They did this by carrying the sacred box of artefacts, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, into the river and miraculously the water parted, which enabled the people to cross over on dry land. When all the people had crossed over, Joshua actioned the instructions he'd received from the Lord. He chose 12 men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and got them to take a big stone from the dry riverbed and they created a memory place, a memorial. Joshua told the people, we're building this so your children will ask you, what are those 12 stones for, Dad? That's when you can tell them and retell the miracle story of when the river stopped flowing and we entered the promised land. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the river, right where the Ark of the Covenant was. While all this was taking place, the priests whose job it was to carry the Ark had to stand out in the riverbed until all of the crossing, collecting, explaining and building had been completed. Finally, the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the priests carrying the ark to come up out of the riverbed, and as soon as their feet were on high ground, the water returned to its proper place. Remembering the story was so important for God's people, for them, and so that every other nation might know who God is and what he's like. And that day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. And for the rest of his life they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The end. Good morning. We're talking about remembering uh, and remembering to trust on our journey of trust. I remember when, uh, many years ago, you actually had to wait a whole week between episodes of your favourite show. You didn't just get to watch the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 on Netflix and then the next one came and you could binge them all. You had to wait a whole week. I remember that. I remember when you could go to the fish and chip shop and buy 40 cents worth of fish and chips and it would feed your whole family. I also remember packing lunch boxes so my children could actually leave the house and go to school somewhere else and actually eat their lunch at a different place. Um, I also remember having people come into my home and visit me and maybe even share a meal with me. I, I kind of remember that. I also remember, like a long time ago, thinking, wow, if we actually have some restrictions placed on us and we go into lockdown, this might actually be a really great space to kind of withdraw and be a bit steady and calm and relax and, you know, cut, cut out a few things in life. Uh, you know, and how exciting will that be? I remember thinking that, and we're still here. We're still in a place of uncertainty uh, and and change. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about not just remembering, but remembering to trust. 
God today. So I want to start with the idea of trust. I wonder what you think when you think of trust. I actually got us a little definition. This is the definition that I've chosen. Oops, did I go one too far? Sorry. This is the definition. The firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of something or someone. The firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability. That's what trust is, you know, actually having a firm belief. So you might trust a ladder to hold you when you put it somewhere. You might trust a babysitter to do what they're supposed to. You might trust a bridge if you're going to drive across it. I guess it depends on the bridge. But that's what trust is, actually having a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, and the ability of that thing or that person to do what you're expecting them to do. And I know from my own experience that truth is hard. So trust is hard. Trust is hard sometimes, particularly if you're somebody for whom trust has been broken. So if trust has been broken in other sectors of your life, it's actually harder to trust in some other parts of your life because it actually permeates across. Uh, So if trust has been broken in other parts of your life, sometimes trust is hard to find. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to rely on. Uh, because of past experiences. You might be someone who's the complete opposite in that and say, actually, oh, look, trust is hard for a completely different reason for me because I'm like super duper capable. I actually don't need to trust because I've, I've just, I've got it. I'm, I'm super duper, like Superman underneath here. And you don't actually need to choose to trust. So I'm thinking about trust being like on a scale, on a scale of 1 to 10. And if you were to sort of have a bit of a think about it, you know, in different aspects of your life, how easy is it to trust and where do you sit on that trust scale? Um, And I want to think specifically this morning about trusting God. And where do you sit on that trust scale of trusting God? Let's have a think about the definition again. In our trusting of God, our trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of God. That's what trusting God means. Trusting in his reliability, his truth, or his ability to do what he said he would do or what we're expecting of him. I wonder where you sit. I wonder where you sit on that scale of 1 to 10. You might say, oh, look, you know, trust comes really hard for me. I'm sitting like at a 3 or a 4. Or you might say, oh, look, trust isn't a really big issue. Or actually, I've just found that I'm so utterly self-reliant, I don't even think about trusting God. So it's probably quite low. I wonder where you're at. And if you were to draw a little timeline in your imaginary life there, you know, and, and actually have a think about it, where would you put yourself? Where would you sit? And you might say, oh, it depends on the circumstances. Well, Like what? For example, have a think in certain settings in your life. How easily does trust in God come for you? I know for me, trust comes um, hard. It is difficult. It's a choice that I have to choose to make uh, because it doesn't come naturally. So the Israelites, they had this issue of choosing to trust God that we've been unpacking the story of the people of Israel for a number of weeks now, as Troy summarized before. They were in slavery in Egypt, uh, and, and God remembered them and brought them out in this miraculous, enormous setting of parting the Red Sea. And then did they forget that he was for them and that he did that thing because they were then grumbling about not having enough food or not having enough water or what are we doing? We're going to die out here in the wilderness. 
Um, you know, they, they, they seem to have a pattern of forgetting, a cycle of forgetting and God reminding and forgetting and God reminding. Um, and so we've got this whole backstory sitting there. And today I want to take us to what is really the, the, the culmination of this story, the end of this story, the, the place in which the story um, kind of crosses the finish line and, and opens up into a whole bunch of other new stories in the Bible. And that is in the book of Joshua. So if you want to flip open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, you've got to skip over a whole lot where they do a whole lot of things in the wilderness and God does a whole lot of stuff that tries to reorient them and create them into the people he wants them to be. But we're looking particularly at Joshua chapter 4 today. So we've got this space in which the people are on this side of the Jordan and God has said, that's the land I'm going to give you. Uh, And then he does this wonderful, miraculous um, event, which is almost like an echo of the event that he did way back at the beginning when he first brought them out of slavery and that he parted the waters and created dry land for them to travel across. So they're on the sides of the banks of the Jordan, the entire um, population of the people of Israel, and they've got the, the stone tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, and God has told the priests to, to hold the Ark and step into the water, and when they step into the water, the waters part in the great big flooding mass of water that is the Jordan River, and they cross over. They cross over on dry land like they did at the beginning of the story, on dry land, they cross over into the promised land. And then there's this beautiful part in the story that I want to hone in on today, and that is the gathering up of the stones. So once they've crossed across, then Joshua says this. This is in Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites. To serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So they've crossed this enormous flooding Jordan River and they're on the other side. And before the waters wash back over what has been made dry land, God says, build a memorial because I never want you to forget this moment. This moment is so utterly important. And and I actually think he knew how, how we have a... Um, a predisposition for forgetting. We, he actually knows what we're like. He knows we forget when the good times roll and we're all happy and doing life as, as it should be. We actually forget. And so he said to them, pick up the stones. And I don't think they were tiny little stones. I think they were big heaving stones that they had to heave out of that river and put up on the side of the river and stack up into a memorial so that they would remember Remember the moment. Remember what God did for them that day. And not just remember for for them, but to remember for generations to come so that when their children come along and say, what are these stones for? Then you'll, you'll be able to tell them, this is what God did. And unpack the entirety of the story of what God did from bringing them out of Egypt, across the sea, 
that he parted through the land, reoriented, recreated, remade, so that their trust was in him, and then across the other side. And he wanted them to remember. So he asked them to take up those dry stones at the bottom of that dry riverbed and name that place and make it a memorial. Joshua said to these people, these are the stones for future generations. So this is what he says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he did to the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What a beautiful image God gave those people. So not only did he give them the image of actually being able to pass over on dry land to flee out of Egypt, but to pass over on dry land in sort of like a, like a rebirth, a reopening, a new story is emerging for these people as they cross over into this new land to be the people that God wants them to be. And he says, do not ever forget that I am God and I am with you. So I want to take a moment, just a little quick sidestep. Who is this Joshua guy? Because I've often um, been pointed at the beginning passages of this book of Joshua and, um, and there's a few little lines in there that have really stood out to me because they get repeated again and again and again um, where God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then in the next verse he says, be strong and very courageous. And then like four verses later, he says, be very strong and very courageous. And I've, I've always read them and gone, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be strong and courageous and, and really wanting to sort of be like Joshua. But having had, had a little extra read of it over the last few weeks, I, I actually don't think that you would need to tell somebody who was super strong and courageous to be strong and courageous that often. You wouldn't have to tell them that often unless they weren't strong and courageous, unless they were, they were a little bit fearful and felt a little bit weak and not, not capable. And I love the fact that God has actually picked out somebody who maybe feel I don't know, this may be just me looking for myself in the text, but I love the fact that God has picked out someone who's not totally strong and capable and courageous. He's picked out somebody who needs to be reminded to choose to be strong and courageous and reminding him three times in the space of this many verses. I love that. So it's Joshua who he chooses to be strong and courageous and lead these people across this body of water on dry land to emerge and become a new people. I like the idea of Joshua. So I think that God knew that we people struggle to remember, to choose, to trust. I've been thinking about it a little bit in my own life. In those moments, I think there's a gap sometimes. And the gap might be small or it might be big. But I think sometimes there's a gap between in the moment when something's happening or something needs to be decided or something's going on and the time in which we choose to remember to trust God. I think there's a gap. And I know for me, 
I would love to know what to do to make that gap smaller, to make that gap shorter, to make the, the trust closer, to make it more of a natural constant in my life so that no matter what situation I get into, trust God is my first default and it's close at hand. This is what it says in Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know you will trust in you. You have never deserted those who look to you. I love this image of the gap there and the reminder from that psalm that if we look to God, he is utterly trustworthy. I actually know he is. I know he's utterly trustworthy. And yet sometimes that gap still lingers and sometimes that gap is so big that I actually can't find the trust of God that I need to find. I wonder where you are on that scale, that scale of 1 to 10. I wonder where you are in those moments where you need to choose trust. How, how far down that scale or how far up that scale are you? And what might you do to move even one increment You know, so sometimes I find myself a four. I'm a four on that scale of trusting God. What what might move me to a five? I think it's a worthy question to ask. I've got some thoughts. So my thoughts are, we actually have to choose to constantly remember what God has done. I love that Steve shared about the um, the prayer of examine. Um, I think we're going to put a link in the chat below if you want to pick up that prayer of examine that Steve talked about and actually work through that, that's just a daily rhythm that you can put into your life to ask yourself, where has God been at? And to note it and to remember it and to remark upon it and to choose. I think that rhythm will cause the gap to narrow. It, it, it might move me a little bit further up that trusting scale. That is a, that's a really useful tool. Um, maybe... Uh, bronze mantra that she says every day. You might want to write your own little mantra that you say every day that, that reminds you to put your trust in God every day and it's something that you say regularly. I know in, in some moments in my life when trust has been really hard, I've actually had to choose to repurpose um, some things in my life in order to remind me. So there was a season in my life when my trust levels were quite low and I was really concerned financially about my life. And so I found myself with my phone regularly. Every time I picked up my phone, I would swipe open and I'd check my bank account. And, and, and I'd, it was exactly what it was last time. It was exactly what I knew it would be. But I just had this thing where I would just constantly check my bank account just to make sure I was okay, just to make sure I was okay, just to make sure I was okay. And at some point, I recognised that that's actually an unhealthy practice in my life. And I need to work out where does my trust lie? Where does my hope come from? Now, my little app on my phone is a little W, which might give away what bank I bank with. But my little W, I have actually repurposed that so that when I see that little app and I'm going to swipe it open, I actually say, where, where does my trust come from? Just a silly little, little technique that I've put in my life. But in those moments, it makes the gap smaller between my, my lack of trust and my choosing trust. It moves me just a tiny bit up the scale. I wonder 
what yours might be. You might actually want to draw a timeline of your life and go back and have a look at where God has been at work and remember. A second thought might be you might choose to actually um, spend a little bit more time figuring out just how trustworthy, reliable and capable God is for you and whether he's worthy of your trust. So maybe the option is to spend some more time on purpose, delving into what he did in the Bible, looking back in depth at that story of the people of Israel. He remembered them. He went and he chased them down and he found them and he provided for them. Maybe that's something that you need to do. Maybe you need to turn this idea of remembering into a bit of a muscle memory. Uh, So years ago, I fell down the second last step uh, on a step in my house. And every day when I leave the house, I would think, oh, my body would remember that second last step and I would step down it really cautiously. Or the other day when I was walking with Troy, we came up a particular part of the track that he walks regularly and his body remembered the moment the dog bit him on the leg. You know, Our bodies can remember things. Our bodies can actually adjust. But I wonder if we could choose to put some on-purpose muscle memory into our bodies. So, for example, where I'm going with this is my little Charlie, as soon as we're out walking, we approach a road, his, hand, his little hand goes out. It just, it just, it's just this um, pop. His little hand goes out because he's looking for mine to hold so we can walk across the, river, across the road. It's just a little muscle memory thing that happens in him. It's just automated. I don't even think he's choosing to do it. We're just walking along and then it's just, doop, and there goes my hand and I've got him. I wonder what it might look like if we were to put those kinds of things in our life. Um, you know, so we might have to choose to look for them. I know when I'm pouring a cup of tea, I look at the steam and I think, must remember to trust in God. When I go to bed every night, I light a candle beside my bed just for maybe five or ten minutes. And part of it is just to remind myself that I'm okay. God's got me. Everything's covered. Or I actually have some stones. Funnily enough, beautiful little stones that I picked up on a retreat a while back And I actually have them at my desk beside where I keep my Bible. And it just reminds me, remember what God's done for you. It's not quite as big a stone stack as they built beside the Jordan, but it reminds me. It's just a really tangible, and I just find myself, I pick them up, I have a play with them. It reminds me of who God is and what he's done in my life. This is one. I had to go into the garage and dig this out of a a box. So this is a bit of a memory book of mine that I put together when I was young and silly uh, in high school, probably about year 10 or year 11. Uh, And I kept in it all of the things that were important to me. So it's got photos, it's got memories, it's got notes, it's got cutouts, it's got clippings. And in here, it has this little flyer, which is from the Youth Alive, Western District, back in the the 90s, 7pm, tickets were free. And I went along and heard about Jesus and I chose to follow him uh, for the rest of my days. I remember, I remember that moment. I remember when I heard that God loved me no matter what and that Jesus lived and died and rose again for me and I chose. And so I, I, I keep that in a book because I don't ever want to forget that moment when God did something in my life. I wonder if you need to repurpose the ordinary to remind you 
of our extraordinary, trustworthy God. Some things come to mind when I think about this. Um, so, you know, that, that whole idea of the gap, that there, there is actually something that God has provided for us that we don't have to create ourselves, uh, that we don't have to put into place ourselves. It is just there as an option that will actually remind us of that, that gap closing, and that is the Holy Spirit. So again, back to my picture of the gap. This is what it says in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit actually in our lives will be a constant reminder, a constant whisperer, a constant nudge, a constant teller of truth in our life. Uh, if we invite the Holy Spirit in. So I've got this new habit, and at the risk of looking like a bit of a goose, I'm going to tell you my new habit. When I'm out walking, I just, you know, in my own daydreaming and thinking and different things like that, at some point I actually choose to invite the Holy Spirit to join me on the walk. So I just put my hand down beside me just for, for the briefest moment. Nobody walking past is going to go, what's that lady got her hand down there for? But I just put my hand down beside me, just almost a, a bit like Charlie reaching for my hand, where I actually say, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to be here on this walk with me now. I don't know what you're going to tell me, but I want to invite you so that in whatever is going on in my life, the gap between whatever's going on and choosing to trust in God, they are right there, hand in hand, close by. I wonder if you'll choose to remember, if you'll put things into your life so that you remember who God is and what he's done. And I think Jesus understood that it is hard to choose and to trust and remember. There's a, a beautiful scene in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is heading towards the cross and he goes into a garden and I just have this sense where he is actually the, the human part of him. He's fully God and fully human, and it's all really hard to understand. But in that moment, the human part of him was saying, remind me to trust God, because this is really big and this is really hard. And I think the fact that God sent Jesus to do what Jesus did is evidence of God's trustworthiness. It's evidence that God is with us and, and can be trusted. And I think Jesus understood it. I was thinking about the idea of the people crossing the Jordan on dry land and what happened to me many, many years ago as a teenager when I cho chose to trust Jesus. I actually think that in that moment in my life, Jesus reenacted that moment where there was a great expanse, an uncrossable expanse between me and God. And I was on the side there and my toes were right there on the water's edge. And I, I, I knew that I needed to be where God was and to be living the kind of life that God wanted me to live and to have that, that new chapter of life unfolded in me. And I actually think that in that moment, Jesus, what he did on the cross with his life and his death and his resurrection. He actually walked me across on dry land. We didn't have to fight our way through the mud. 
I actually just walked between where I was and where I needed to be uh, because of the person of Jesus. I wonder if you're somebody who hasn't actually worked out who this Jesus is or, or who God is or what God might be able to do in your life or what the invitation to trust him even looks like. I wonder if you, you might be like me and your toes are on the edge of the water. Um, you know, maybe, maybe take that hand and walk. Make that journey of choosing to walk across on dry land. You might have made that choice a really long time ago and you might have forgotten how big and significant that choice was. Or you might be like the people of Israel where they, they knew that God was for the nation, but they weren't sure that God was for him, for them, and that he could be totally trusted for their own lives. I wonder if you need to do some of this work around choosing to remember. Jesus took something very ordinary and imbued it with power in order to make it a, a remembering thing for us. In the time before his death, he actually had all of his people gathered around him and he took something that the people of Israel had taken and made meaning for themselves and he took it and gave it even more meaning and we can take it and give it even more meaning. So the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, they had to flee with their bread not even risen. They, had, they took their unleavened bread out into the wilderness. And out in the wilderness, they actually sat down with their unleavened bread and said, let's take this unleavened bread and let's make it to be something that we remember what God did for us forever. And that was the Passover. And they celebrated that year after year after year after year after year. And then one day, a really long time later, Jesus is with his disciples and they are about to celebrate that same Passover with that bread. And he took it and he said, I'm going to give this new meaning because not only will the people of Israel cross the river to the promised land, but because of my life and death, all people will have that opportunity. And he broke that bread and he shared it with his disciples. There's a beautiful story um, a little bit later in the story where two of his disciples are walking along the road feeling pretty flat and sorry for themselves because Jesus had been crucified. And he joined them. The risen Jesus joined them and walked beside them. And, and they listened to everything that he said and, and everything was amazing. But when they stopped at the end of that walk and they sat down and Jesus picked up the bread and he broke it, their eyes were open because they remembered. They had a remembering thing that reminded them. And it didn't just remind them of the Jesus that they knew, but it reminded them of the whole backstory of the trustworthiness of God and the way in which he walked with them out of slavery and into the promised land. I'm going to read um, a little bit of what Jesus said to his disciples in that moment when he broke that bread. And I wonder if you might want to take the elements that you've got at home or, or you might even not have them, but you might say, I'm going to do this later by myself. I'm going to pour a cup of tea and I'm going to get some juice and I'm going to get some bread and I'm going to do this on purpose and I'm going to make it my little reminder, my remembering ceremony where I remember that God is good and that he's trustworthy and that he's for me and that he walked me across a great expanse so that I could be with God 
in my daily life. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. I'm going to read it from Matthew 26, verse 26. And all the disciples are sitting around together and it says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness, for, for the, for the forgiveness of sins. He gave them this beautiful moment as a remembering. I wonder if you might take a moment, uh, whether it's now or whether it's later, to actually do this little remembering ceremony and remember what God did for you, what God did for his people, what God has done for the world. Uh, And choose to work out some things in your life that, that bring that trust a little closer, that move you slightly further up the scale, because This meal reminds me that I want to get to the end of my days where my loved ones are sitting around me and I'm on my deathbed and I'm so far up that scale that I'm holding the 10 and I say to them, don't worry for me, dearie. I trust God. I know he's got my life. I know where I'm going. But I've got a way to go because I've got to choose to remember to trust him always. So I wonder if you might take these elements. There's going to be some pictures playing and a song. You might want to sing along or you might just want to meditate on the pictures or you might just want to tell God all of the things that you remember about who he is and how great he is and how trustworthy he is for your life.